Did you know that Cole just told me that the average <laughs> podcast only lasts 10 episodes? And Cole that doesn't make it. It doesn't make episodes. it to 10 episodes. So, and we're at episode 39. I feel like this would have a lot more punch if we said it next time. At 40? At 40. But okay. 39 works. We'll say it again. We'll say it again at 40. I mean, why not? It's kind of like your 40th birthday. Like everyone else wants to celebrate it for you. But yeah. like you're like, oh, no. Not that we would know because we're young and hip and cool. Did I already say on here that I'm loathing turning 30 because I hate the number three? No. I hate the number three. Dude, can we even do this podcast anymore? That's like God's number. I mean, I think you could argue it's seven or 12. 12, I love. 12 is my favorite number. Oh, congratulations. You just hate <laughs> the Trinity? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> well, anyways, why do you hate three? That makes no sense. I just don't like it. <laughs> like it has it, it. It. I honestly don't even like the letter B. So it might just be like the curves. What about eights? Kind of hate eight. Okay. I'm but not it. not as much because if you turn that the other way, it's the infinity symbol. I was going to ask, but infinity. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. It's just the, so like, it's the, because a three feels incomplete. Could be. Could be. Could be. A capital B is almost the infinity. All right. No one wants to listen to this conversation. <laughs> Welcome to episode 39, which um, we'll tell you the title of it when you read it. Um, we're going to come up with something snarky, but I'll tell you what it is right now. Go. Sermon? Question mark. No, it doesn't hook. Right. Uh, God's word preached dot dot dot. Question mark? Question mark? Ellipsis? <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite parts of uh, nerdy Greek stuff is that there's no punctuation in the Greek. Like, we add that later. I'm like... Run-ons. Yeah. I just imagine how some of those sentences could look differently, you know? Sometimes they just add all that random stuff in because... What's that book? Eat, Shoots, and Leaves? It's all yeah. about grammar. Like, yeah, Oxford comma. That's my I'm jam, a, dude. I live I'm and an die Oxford. by the Oxford comma. Yeah. I Some people say Oxford it looks comma. clunky, but I think it is. It clarifies. Do people not want to hear about my letter three things, but want to listen about the Oxford comma? So today's episode is going to be a part of a myriad of episodes. So what else is new? But where we're talking about different aspects of what makes church church to us. Mm -hmm. This isn't like planned in any particular order. But when you think about the church, what comes to your mind? Like, okay, like everyone goes, church isn't a building, but clearly was a building once you weren't allowed to worship it in it anymore. It's like, all right, well, it's not a super fancy building. It's like an auditorium. Well, that's only true in the modern day. Like for a long time, it was like Gothic architecture. It was all kinds of crazy stuff, right? But the different components of like a worship service too, like, what makes something a worship service? Why do we call it a service? Like, are we providing a service? Like, maybe that contributes to consumerism mentalities. And Is this a funeral? You're right. Um, I, interestingly, sidebar on that, when I was taking my mm -hmm. ward exams, the way that they talk about funerals in the Book of Order for Presbyterians, it's a witness to the, re the resurrection. Yeah. 
I'm like, ha, huh. like, and that like, it's very clunky, but that's what it says every time in the book of mm-hmm. order. I'm like, okay. I like that. That's um, it doesn't really work on a postcard, but I mean, I guess it does work on a postcard, not on a bookmark. Yeah. Uh, so I think one of the things that's really interesting or intriguing about this topic is uh, we talk about faith restructured. I mean, it's kind of like the name of our podcast. And so both Mike and I have gone through this process of quote unquote deconstruction or some semblance of it and both find church to still be a well of life for the Christian faith walk journey. Some people call it being just a Jesus follower now, a follower of the way, whatever language you want to use for it. And so I think this is an important conversation for us to have is like, well, why? And also, what are some things we should look for as we go through these, uh, kind of through this resurrection of being in church and being a part of things again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like for a lot of people, there are different things that even if you've never like doubted in your faith, there is a, a list that you have come up with. No one told you about it, but there, there is your list of things that you think are important in church, right? You're you've got a hierarchy of like, what's the most important thing. And I'd say in the modern, especially Western church, it's the preaching, like how's the preaching and like a close second is the music. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, those are interchangeable. Right. But then it's like, okay, what kind of liturgy do you use? What, what kind of images are used? Do you have like statues in your church? Do you have stained glass windows? Is it very plain? Because it's like, don't think about the physical, only think about the spiritual. Do you got um, American flags in there? Yeah. Do you have flags in there? That was a huge debate in, in my current church. Um, so there's so much wrapped up in that. Uh, the church I grew up in had like, I'm going to get the number wrong, but easily over 40 flags up yeah. on the stage. And it was of every missionary country mm-hmm. that they supported. Um, but what do those images communicate? Like for them, it wasn't communicating national pride for those countries. It's communicating God is working in these places where we are supporting people. Right. So what is the value of an image? And like, I'm sure the conversation will evolve and, you know, go in many directions as per usual. But I was thinking primarily of like, what what is a sermon? What is the purpose of a sermon? What do we expect like out of a sermon? And is that different Mm. than the purpose of a sermon, right? So like if the purpose, let's just say, is to proclaim the word of God, sometimes that's not what people expect the sermon to be. Like sometimes people want a sermon to do something very specifically. Um, So yeah, those are the kind of preliminary, I don't know, starting blocks of like, all right, as we're rethinking church, maybe it's just helpful to give some context of where we are now. So like, how long is an average sermon at your church right now? Uh, I think the <laughs> we use planning center, which is like a back end uh, thing for churches. And I think we allot 22 and a half minutes Interesting. for the sermon. Yeah. No, no, no. So it, ours now, is my previous church was 20 was 22 minutes for sure. Yeah. It, sorry. Hopefully my interesting didn't sound bad. Uh, interesting in that I didn't think about it until just then. So our church is that way too, or has been for a long time. 
when I got here is 15 to 20 minutes. My current pastor preaches like 10 to 14 minutes. Hmm. It's very intentional. Um, it has to do with some psychology stuff, like generally like adult attention span is roughly under 12 minutes. So usually there needs to be some kind of reset we do. And it's a lot of uh, presenters, you know, toy with that kind of stuff. Think about Ted talks that are interactive. That's why they use those different pieces. But like, even I, I get, I'm sorry, this is all roundabout. The reason I said interesting is I didn't even think about it until you said 22 minutes. Like even the question of how long is a sermon implies something about what we think church and sermon should be, yeah. which is that they should be timed, right? Mm -hmm. Very particular. We're very scheduled. Like we need to make sure church is an hour long service period, mm -hmm. which is totally a product of our culture. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was telling Cole, uh, a couple of my friends who, you know, they better be listening to this podcast, um, <laughs> talk about like, they're, they're just so surprised that my church's sermons are so short. Like they think 20 minutes is short. I think 20 mm -hmm. minutes is long. Like, you know, so <laughs> some churches really focus on the 45 minute length and it's gotta be, it's not valid if it's not that long. So mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that we measure the validity sometimes of a ser sermon, depending on which church on the street we walked into based on the length alone. Like, mm -hmm. So where do you think, uh, the, the value of that comes from? Like, uh, I don't know if it comes from like TV or interesting, uh, like, yeah. Like you mean TV like episodes? Show. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, an yeah. episode's an hour. And I mean, generally speaking, it bounces around a little bit. You got like commercial here, commercial there, but then you have long periods of the TV show where you're like, please don't cut to commercial, please don't cut to commercial. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> like the next second is or the next scene is or cuts to um cuts to whatever commercial. <laughs> um <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know if it's that or it's just like a general change. Like if it just changes with culture, that, that'd be an interesting study. I don't really know yeah. uh, the, the backstory on that. Um, but I will also say like when you go back and read like old um, sermons or liturgies, at least mm -hmm. like you can read it and go like, OK, this is generally looks like it would be about an hour as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> But that doesn't account for the sermon. And so, you know, a lot of different uh, denominations and, you know, even independent Baptist or just non-denom churches will will have different styles that they follow and will do things in different ways. So you have like the the Presbyterian church where everything is leading up to the sermon, like the sermon's kind of like the big piece of the Presbyterian uh <clears throat> I guess, liturgy or service order mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, some churches probably do it differently, the but Christian in the Lord. Catholic church, but in the Catholic church, everything is leading up to communion. Eucharist. Eucharist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the sermon or what they call the homily is like an eight to 10 minute thing that just like is a, yeah, this is this, 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 and this, and this is how it points toward points us towards the Eucharist. And so um, I think it very much depends on the church you're in. When I was growing up, 
I would say 30 minutes was normal in the church I was in, but I always knew that if my family was going to see a speaker, like see a church service, mm. you know, there's sometimes like elevation will travel with whatever Stephen Furtick and, and whatnot. I always knew that that was going to be 45 minutes long. Mm. The sermon part. And go ahead. <laughs> and uh, I always knew that the, I went to school at a, at a Christian or at a church. And um, I always knew there it was going to be about 40 minutes long. So mm-hmm. like you generally do see it creep into those higher uh, numbers. Um, you know, honestly, I don't, I mean, this is an overgeneralization, but in the conservative churches I've been in, the sermons tend to be longer. Right. Yeah. And there's so many layers to that. So one, I just want to say on a funny note, when you said the TV thing, I'm like, man, you put it in that lens. It's like I could listen to a sermon this morning or I can watch my favorite show. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of wild to think I'm talking as long as a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also that and I want to focus on sermons. But I mean, even everyone listening to this podcast right now, like everyone has a preference of their general podcast length that they like. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. Some people really like the 20 minute range because it's just that quick, you know, commute. Dude, I see those and I'm like, ain't no way anybody can talk about anything in 20 minutes. You're right. <laughs> like, that's not worth it because podcasting seems like a long form thing. Right. But at the same time, you know, you got some podcasts that go two, three hours. You're like, that's a long time. Um, you got to pause it, got to come back to it. Like, um, so finding that sweet spot of like, what is the right length of a podcast could be a similar, you know, experiment. But when it comes to the sermon stuff, like I think of like, you know, I've read some of John Calvin's sermons for different papers that I've written and they are long. Like there was no, yeah. it's not that they didn't have a concept of time, but we de- we definitely didn't have smartphones at that point. We're looking at the sundials like, hmm, indubitably. Yes, <laughs> let's keep going. Um, and so I think there is something they're like i know for presbyterians the language they'd use for sermons is proclamation of the word like that's it's very technical language because it's not just a sermon that's the most common way that that happens but it could be you know a dramatic reading of poetry it could be like liturgical dance that is like acting mm-hmm. out the word so there's a number of things that can uh take that spot yeah. but when we think about like the length you were saying, like usually uh, conservative churches are longer. And I I'd agree with that in my experience. Like I have found that there's a drastic difference of tone in sermons. Like, mm. and like we started by saying like, what are the goals? And it's going to be interesting to see like people from different backgrounds is the purpose of a sermon to teach. And I think yeah. the majority of, western christians not just americans but just the 21st century in the west is yes church Mm -hmm. is a place i go to learn this week about my faith Mm -hmm. and then there's the big push but like you need to like learn on your own time too and that too at the end is implying this is a learning time which i wonder if that is an accurate depiction of like what a sermon should be yeah, like that's what I was that's what I my that's where my brain was going was like if you zoom out not only like what is the function of the sermon but also 
what are you coming to church for? Like, just what is the purpose of church? I think is a difficult question to ask, especially on the other side of, of like a faith crisis or disorientation or just deconstruction, whatever you want to use. Um, it's just like, uh, the things I was coming here for, like I had an understanding of what this was for. Mm-hmm. And I th- think now I see through it, you know, some language that is used around like contemplative theology or contemplative spirituality stuff is the, like the term contemplative spirituality. Uh, a definition somebody told me was uh, it's a long loving look at the real. Mm. And uh so I just wonder if like there's a piece of us that sees through a different veil on the other side of like deconstruction or maybe just adapting to a more contemplative spirituality. <laughs> Mike yeah. just threw some funny things on the screen. It's throwing me off. Um, and so I think that is the first question you have to answer. It's just like, what's the purpose of all of this? Right. Um, and I don't think that the, there is a answer to that and answer to that. Um, because we have so many denominations. And so I think it's a matter not of like what you want, but like where you feel, I guess, spirit or the divine, like where do you connect best with that? Because you can find that in, different denominations like the presbyterian church if you're looking for a solid short sermon yeah that's the place to be will it always be like quote unquote challenging you in your faith or like teaching you something or like holding you accountable i don't necessarily know my experience was not that was not that that was a a high priority as opposed to like drawing things from the text more and maybe that was just the pastors i had um, yeah, I was going to say, I, I think there's, you know, individual preachers have styles for sure, right. but denominations to your point, like they definitely have their, mm-hmm. their flavor. And I think Presbyterians, um, in my experience are reformed, it's more in, intellectual, like let me right. pontificate and, and I'm guilty of this and mm-hmm. it, and we, to be fair, we are aware of this and try to correct it. At least right. at my seminary, we addressed it. We're not good at it, but <laughs> they, you know, it's a little bit too cerebral and it needs to be like, okay, those are great ideas about God, but what does that matter mm-hmm. for this right now? Um, and now, whereas, in, yeah, now I'm in Methodist, uh, United Methodist again. And that's what I grew up as. And you kind of see like the Methodist way is a little bit more, like the sin, uh, purification, sanctification language, mm-hmm. like that's where they get stuck a lot. Um, and not like, they're really good at mission and service, but not really like teaching, like, like a heart that's transformed that serves, but rather just like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. Cause we're like doer people. And, your- and so that's different than the Presbyterian church, but it's like its own different flavor. Does your church use PowerPoint or like screens during yeah, the yeah. sermon? Slides? Yeah. Roman oh, numerals yeah. or pictures or? Church is very modern here. No bulletin. Um, well, I 
it's not super modern anymore, I guess, but no bulletin. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, um, project everything on the screens. We do some hymns. Typically they're like, uh, rewritten for a little bit more contemporary, whatever song. Um, yeah. Cause style. I'm, I'm just thinking like, those are the subtle thing. Like if you walk in a church and you see pews and you see like stained glass windows, like the, the subliminal message I think is traditional, right? Yep. Nothing else has to be said. Now we're, my church is that way, but we have screens and now usually screens auditorium and seats. But we are screen, screens auditorium. Yeah. Scream more contemporary, modern, whatever mm -hmm. screens in a stained glass window church with pews don't mask it. It's still says <laughs> subliminal or subliminally yeah, says yeah. traditional. So it's like, but what does, what's the subliminal message of a screen? And we, we did this survey years ago. We were like trying to figure out if we we're going to put screens in or not. And we didn't until COVID. So we put up a, a temporary screen and we took a survey after two weeks of doing it. And it was fascinating to me. The teenagers were the ones that were most against the screens and they said they look at screens all day at school. Every class that they go into has screens like projectors. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to go into a sanctuary. Even that language is different, right? Auditorium versus sanctuary versus, you know, yeah. whatever chapel. It's nice to have that reprieve. And I think like, like you and I, Cole and I have talked about like the struggles of like language, like Sunday school or confirmation classes. And like the moment you put school or class with something, there's a, a switch in a kid's brain that gets hit. And it's, you're working against the river at that point already mm -hmm. starting behind, you know, but I think the screens communicate, like you are here to learn like during a sermon, like that's my gut reaction as I hold my chest, but I mean my gut reaction to <laughs> like seeing a screen implies to me like i'm gonna put stuff up here and you need to look at it because you need to remember this stuff because you need to learn it mm -hmm. which implies to me that the purpose of the sermon is fundamentally to teach more than anything mm -hmm. and i'm like do you think that's right like do you think i'm correct in that and on the one hand and on the other hand like do you think that's the purpose like because i'm hearing so what you're saying on the spiritual direction side of the loving, what was it? Loving, look? long, loving look at the real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think this is two sided. Everybody who's listening, who goes to Mike's church, and especially if you're a teen, I'm not trashing you. Just saying, even that statement is like a little bit intellectual. Like, I want oh, yeah, to be yeah, yeah. in a place where there's not a screen. Like you totally. have the option, like the yeah. choice, like that's great. I'm glad you have that choice. Uh, but on the flip side of that, there is, I, I just think that there is a natural and I'm be honest, I don't fight it, but like there is a natural regression in people who actually like physically own a Bible now because hey. of screens like the ease of access and look that is so welcoming to people who are visiting a church for the first time and are like what the heck's a bible i don't have one of these yet oh they're gonna put everything on the screen mm -hmm. awesome like that's great but 
what it has done is conditioned people to be like, yeah, I'm not going to bring my Bible to church. And like, I get that that's weird language and some people might get tripped up on that, but there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, my argument would be some of the issues we're seeing with like Christian nationalism is probably because the, the people in power have used subliminally have used screens. And so people don't know their Bible and they don't Mm. know that the things that they're saying don't line up with what actually is written in the rest of this thing. Um, But yeah, so I think that that, that's like two-sided. I don't know that I would ascribe it as like, oh, this is a learn because here at my church, like people are probably coming here to learn because like they don't, they honestly probably don't have the time. We're mm-hmm. in a not a low income area. We're in a we're in a middle class area, but definitely more blue collary. So I think people tend to work longer hours and things like that. Yeah. Um, in harder in or sorry, more physical jobs. You know what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um and so like this is their time to quote unquote learn. And that's what they I would say that's what they're coming to the worship service expecting. Right. You know, I've heard some comments from people that are like, Hey, like, I wish we would actually go through what some of these books of the Bible, like say sequentially, rather than like the more topical series based things we do fair argument. Like I get it. Like if you're looking for that, you're not always like, we don't do always a good job of that, but um, yeah, I I think there's a, there is something to that subliminal screen thing that I, in the same breath that I said, it's kind of a, it's kind of a privileged statement to say, I agree with them. Like I actually don't get a lot from our church sanctuary, but when I go into Catholic churches, I'm like, dang, like this is a place where I feel it in tune with spirit and with the divine. And like, I can actually get into a more worshipful mode mm. in a Catholic mass where I'm not even allowed to participate in the most important thing. Um, whereas here it's more just like, I'm going into a multi-purpose room and, or an auditorium and and there's nothing wrong with it, but yeah, I don't know. I think space is a really important piece to this whole conversation of church and what you're looking for. I don't know. That's necessarily the conversation about the sermon, but that's definitely who cares. It's a podcast. It's not a sermon. We can do what we want. (laughs) So you're talking about the, the, I don't know, juxtaposition is that the, there's a simpler word so we can change it, but between like an auditorium versus a Catholic sanctuary, right? Yes. Just like shout out to Tom Zuba. He and I have talked about this a lot. Like as much as, you know, is that Kim loves Tom? No, that's a different Tom. That's Tom Maloney. Shout out to all the Toms out there. All right. Um, But talking about like, yeah, like I don't, particularly Mike Kramer doesn't want to be a Catholic, but something about that space feels holy. And I understand it. It also, and for so many people, it feels boring, uncomfortable, boring, offsetting incense, you know, but there, there are stages to this. Some of it is like stained glass window freaked me out until I learned about stained glass windows. Like I, I met president Joe Biden when he was vice president when I was on a date in, you know, 2009 
I, and the date got extended if I went to church with the family and I went to the church and it was his church, his home church in Delaware. And it was my first time going to a Catholic church. And like, it was aerobics, like kneel, sit, stand, sit, stand, kneel, kneel, sit. It's like, what in the world DDR? But I was freaked <laughs> out and I was super fundamentalist Baptist at this point. So I was like, oh man, like, I hope like God's not mad at me for being what in here. an embodied you know? spirituality. I know. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm like looking at Mary statues. I see the stained glass. Like it's just threw me off. Whereas now that I've learned about like the value of these things, I, it's, I feel like I'm talking against what I think sometimes I hate when people like force themselves to like things like I love coffee and they like, they look like they hate it the whole time and they learn to like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there is something about like learning to value things you didn't understand before. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like, that means your church has to be those things, but that that's an interesting piece. Like, because when you're talking about like the multi-purpose rooms, that is a trend of the Like, I don't mm -hmm. know, 21st century church. Uh, the word might be like to make it practical space, a Catholic church and my church. It, it's not practical space. You can do two things in there. Yeah. You can do a worship service or like an other musical a wedding service, and funeral, <laughs> right? Like that, that is what it's for. Whereas right. an auditorium, you wipe all the chairs out and you can set up like kickball inside, mm -hmm. or you could set up a VBS. Or, yeah. You know, there's, I wonder, man, that's, that's a whole different, rabbit hole but like there's a value in the practicality when notre dame was burning so, down and everyone was like donating millions of dollars like these you know really wealthy people yeah. to help fix it and we can't even get the kind of wood you need to like fix it the way it needs to be fixed and people are like why are we fixing this old church when there's all these people that are starving and dying it's like because yeah. it's history and it's like that's that's a moment that puts it on full display of like there is a value in the physical yeah. thing but it shouldn't be valued over right. other important physical things <laughs> such as image bearers. So, so I keep cutting you off as you start breathing, but no, um, it's fine. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I actually, you know, and this is, this is what I love about doing this podcast is like very much we're, we're working out our stuff or like at least how, we're figuring out our feelings on things. And the, the answer is never this and not that mm. really like, because yeah, I'm super glad we have a multi-purpose sanctuary here because mm. we can have a worship service in there. And in the next hour, we can have all the chairs torn down and we can be doing a meal packaging event for some to send meals to another country. And like, what better place to do that than the place where you worship? Exactly. Right? Like that is the embodiment of what the church is supposed to be. And so, yeah, freaking awesome. Now, do I miss those other pieces sometimes? Sure, because I do appreciate the sacredness and I do appreciate the reverence and I do appreciate the call to the the turning towards things that remind us of God and remind us that this story is bigger than us. And so it's never this or that. It's just the the place you're at and where and where you arrive. And so yeah, my encouragement I think for for those listening when it comes to kind of the practicality of church is like it sounds cliché but you really got to find something that is going to feed you. 
Um, what we found in my family, my wife and I, is like I needed to have some tradition. And my wife was looking for more community than our old church provided. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's how we ended up in this church here because it feels like a better blend of the two. And so we knew we couldn't swing the pendulum to the whole other opposite direction. Um, But we also knew we couldn't stay where we were. And so, especially on the other side of something like disorientation, like I really think it's important that, you look for something that that fits what you are are hoping to see out of a church is this church perfect no (laughs) like no no full stop just no (laughs) um no we have our own problems here but it does look and embody something a little bit more like what we were hoping for when it comes to sermons I, i mean feel free to share anything you want to about that as well. But a question I had for you is like in the pews, listening to sermons, what are you kind of looking for? What are you expecting out of them? So I, yeah. So I was the worst in every category and I, I'll probably look back at this point in my life and go, I was still the worst at 27. (laughs) Right. But when I got super serious about my walk with Jesus, which was like 2008, that you know, my Baptist language would be like the day I got saved. But back yeah, then, like the culture was like, take your Bible to church, underline mm-hmm. in your Bible, like, and and if you were real, if you were super saved, me, me and my friends all had this category. You got like undersaved, barely saved, super <laughs> saved, and then oversaved, and so. Uh, We'll integrate those. Movies. I love how saved isn't even a convert. Like, yeah, is barely a... saved just by the, the grace of God. Um, what did your church have to say about drinking Lafroy 10 while you're doing a uh, podcast? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, friends. Definitely a zero. You're, you're an understate. <laughs> you're not saved. Yeah. Um, I'm in hell right now. So there was a value of like bringing notebooks and like taking notes. And like, again, these are the kinds of subtle things that imply what church is about on the back of the bulletins. There was a notes section. There was yeah the, the subtlety of implying, Hey, you should write some stuff down. So I have a note. I still have it. And like, sometimes I'll look through it old outlines from sermons that like would be up on the PowerPoint. But by my senior year of high school, like I was really getting into like C.S. Lewis at that point and some other people. And I was becoming the most obnoxious critic. I'm like, mm, I could I think I could even preach a better sermon than that. Blah, blah, blah. Then I went to college and started <laughs> learning about Bible and theology. And then it made me even worse, like because then yeah. I'm like just using theology words like mm, someone hasn't heard of perichoresis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like well, I wish I could sovereignty. punch myself in the face, man. I'm telling you. And so. It wasn't until I started this job here. I'll take that back. My senior year of college, I was going to a church and I didn't particularly love the sermons, but we did the Eucharist every week and the community was amazing. And I knew the pastor was a fantastic pastor. I just didn't love his sermons. Yeah. Pastor and preacher are different words. Right. And so that's when like that planted the seed for me to go, Oh, First of all, it's not about me just being this hypercritical, you know, person in the audience or, you know, congregation. 
so it wasn't about me being this like hypercritical student and critiquing everything. And, and that's like the journey I'm on now is like, I really try my best to turn my brain off, like as much as I can to like all of the, the easy critiques. So like, I think about like, Mm. this is everyone. I mean, we're almost on episode 40. So are we shocked? It's a long winded answer. When I watch Uh. a movie, there are some movies that are just bad that I enjoy. Right. Mm. Because despite the things that are like unapologetically bad, whether it's horrible CGI or like a really cringy romance scene or like unbelievable, like situation that happens, the story there are redeeming qualities along the way that go, you know, there were some bad moments, but I kind of enjoy that movie. And I feel like that's the approach I really try to take with sermons, not implying that everyone else's sermons are bad, but like trying to affirm like, okay, yeah, there are things I disagree with in this sermon, but at the end of the day, fundamentally the person up there is trying to proclaim the word of God. I think we, we trap ourselves when we go, I need to be this wise guru that's saying something no one's ever heard in a way that they've never heard it so that I can be different. It's like, no, just proclaim the word of God. The parable, the parable of the lost son or the loving father or the prodigal son, whatever language you're going to use, that preaches itself. A pastor is probably going to use a story of their own kid or the time they went to the grocery store or whatever to make it more applicable. But the story itself stands. Right. Right. Like that carries weight. And so when I'm going now, I'm looking to be taken away from like the intellectual. And I think that's something that started for me at this church in particular, because my my former pastor was he's almost like a storyteller the way he preached. There was no there's no point number one, point number two, rule number three. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just he's kind of taking you on this journey through the text and weaving it together. And for me, that's been the most meaningful thing as a listener to a listener of sermons, because I'm not trying to critique it like it's a paper or like an academic exercise where he didn't get enough, you know, exegesis done. It's how is God speaking to me? And I parallel it kind of to, like the struggle a lot of people have with devotions once they start to learn how important context and historical criticism and exegesis is. It's like, how do I just read a devotion in the morning? (laughs) It's like, there's a real like heartache that I have about that. That's kind of dramatic language, but I think it works of like, I wish I could just do that. And I'm just now becoming able to do that again, where I can go, I don't need to know every detail about this passage for God to speak through this passage. But knowing that there's more there is crucial for me to be able to have that simple moment. So I'm trying to take that same mentality into how I receive sermons now. Hmm. That was a a long winded answer. You're not wrong. I just take such a good question. You know, that's why it was such a long answer. I just I just take them all in. That's my answer. What was the sermon about Sunday, Cole? <laughs> uh, the nails that went into Jesus's hands. Side note, church right now going to talk a lot about blood. Depending on your Easter. denomination. Depending on your denomination. And yeah. I said, we're like the purification, sanctification, redemption church. Mm-hmm. So we talking a lot about blood right now, but that's okay. Um, <clears throat> sermons so I'll ask it back to you. 
really, really difficult for me to hear. Definitely in college and post-college for, yeah, I don't know, I would say like four or five years. And I think more than it was dealing with my my like skeletons in the closet with uh, church, but it was more about my own ego in that. And I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. But I think I hear that. Like, that's kind of what you were feeling 100%. a little bit too. But um, it was like a righteous ego, right? Like it's, we always find a way to justify our own ego yeah. and pride. Like we would get in the car if I would be at, at my home church with my parents and they'd be like, that eh, sermon wasn't too bad today. And I was like, this dude doesn't even know anything about like Genesis. Like he didn't even like give us the actual context of what it's saying. Like that, how does this even make sense? He's just like, mm-hmm. whatever, man, <laughs> where you want to go to eat. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, what I found, maybe what I have found is a lot of times that is my knee jerk reaction. It's just like, ugh you know, this sermon isn't good or this sermon is going in a direction I don't really care for, you know, actually that doesn't take the context into account. And so what I've found is my best takeaways from sermons are like days later Mm. because sure. What starts as like me being upset about it or me saying like, yo, this guy's not taking it seriously. It's like, that's where I do tend to find the you know nugget or the truth or like the what the text kind of can mean to me in for my for my life what what i can walk away with is like wrestling with the sermon on the other side Mm -hmm. um and oftentimes you know the voice of quote-unquote pastor is not even there anymore it's just like that might be like the narrator's voice for like the other side or the other argument. But really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm chewing over the, the text with, with, um, with spirit, with divine, you know, um, and trying to, trying to take something away from it at that point. Now, here's the caveat of that. That sounds super religious and super uh, hoity-toity and mm. spiritual. And so probably I would say at a minimum half of the sermons in a year, I do that with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, do I do, does every single sermon speak to me in a way that I think is meaningful and I can, you know, make a transformational change from hearing that? No. Um, and I can say that now confidently because I know that I have the, the ways in which I experience God. And one of them for me right now is just not regularly the sermon. Um, so if that's your only connection, like if that's somebody's only connection to church or to faith or their, their spiritual journey, I can see why you hang a lot on that. I just don't think I hang that much on the sermon anymore. I think it's putting yeah. a lot of pressure. I think it's putting a lot of pressure on the sermon actually. Well, and maybe that that's we're in a position of privilege because we value learning in a different space, right? Yeah, like yeah. we've taken that on and I'm not saying that because we're better. 
we can complain about the culture of church being like, okay, everyone goes to church to learn and then they go home and don't read their Bible. You know, that's a general experience, I think, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But so the question becomes, do churches need to cater to that? Then, If I know today is the only day anyone's going to learn about the Bible, then I should teach as much as I can. But I think because we've kind of reoriented our focus on the purpose of church, the sermon is a huge part. It can be inspiring. It can be challenging, convicting. But at the end of the day, it's the whole worship time, the worship moment, service, space. Like I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Hopefully this isn't a self-report, but it is in that. I, the, the concept is what are you thinking about during worship? Right. And that's what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about what am I thinking about during worship? <laughs> so here's what I mean. Your favorite song is on you're singing. I love this song and it gets done. And you're like, wow, I just feel so overwhelmed because like the lyrics were just there. It's great. And then the next song is your least favorite song. And you're like kind of singing it because you have to because you're there, but your mind isn't meditating on the words in the song. You're not praying those words. You're not celebrating those words because you, because the tune is horrible or like the lead singer is off that week. So what are you thinking about during the worst song? Mm. What are you thinking about during communion? Like this is something like I'm preaching on Monday, Thursday. I want to talk about this quite a bit in that sermon, but when like the in-between moments, okay, they, they do their words, right. And they're talking Mm -hmm. like, are you imagining the things they're describing in the last supper when you walk up to go get communion? Or if you're sitting waiting for someone to bring it to you, what do you think about in that awkward moment? Like of waiting to get communion? Are you like, man, this is awkward. Like elevator music. Are you still thinking about Jesus? Like, do you think about something specifically when you actually eat the wafer or bread and drink the wine or grape juice, or are you just like, okay, now I'm going to eat it and drink it. And those are the kinds of things that like, I've been really trying to ponder lately. And in, in the context of this conversation, what are you thinking about during the sermon? Best case scenario is, "Mm, yeah, mm, (laughs) wonderful. Amen, brother, sister, (laughs) you know, but worst case scenario, I hate what this person's saying. I totally disagree. They're the worst. Or, oh my goodness, this is the most boring thing ever. I don't feel like I'm able to worship God. It's so boring. Pause and ask, what are you supposed to be thinking about in that moment? Like, mm-hmm. because we 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 go to be served, right? Like, I've come to church and th- this contract is fulfilled when you give me a good yeah. sermon. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so what happens when they don't? We are still there to worship. So yeah. your why your, are you there then? <laughs> your ability to worship shouldn't be dependent on whether or not the the choir or band is on key and whether or not the pastor's on point with their sermon. So like meant like beginning your your worship with some kind of prayer or recognition that like this isn't about me. So like what do you do? Like I'm not saying I know what to do that. This is what I've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. I'm inviting you all into that, but like, do you just pray like God, this sermon's not doing it for me, but if nothing else, now's a good time to pray. I won't say who this was, but I just found this out. We had a service day last month and one of my teens was like, Hey, yeah. Like the pastor called me out. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say which pastor or when it was this uh, funny story though. They're like, yeah, called me out. 
for sleeping during church. I was like, no way. And they're like, yeah. They're like, hey, were you sleeping in church? She's like, no, I wasn't sleeping. I, I was just feeling moved and just felt like I had to start praying. I was like, uh, that no one in their sinning. life has ever felt <laughs> no, for that. Playing. Like, it was so funny. Oh, my goodness. Uh, like, well, maybe that's that that's the option, right? Right. Well, and I think kind of. Yeah, when it comes to like, what are you expecting out of church? I do think from. So being people on the other side of the curtain, quote unquote, um, uh, how do I want to say that? you have that um, example of the that you told me about, which I thought was really cool. Like it, like in every other job, it is perfectly fine to have slept horrible the night before and show up and just work like mm-hmm get your job done and go home. And I'm not saying that, that like you still don't take care to do your job well and all that stuff, but that happens for people who work in church as well. And yeah. so I, if you want to share that, like peanut butter and jelly thing. Oh yeah. 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 I and- think that would be super helpful because I think that there is an expectation and it's hard to say as a person who works in a church, um, like, I think there's a little bit of an arrogant expectation from the congregation at times. And definitely it's heightened in personalities that mm-hmm. are typically more um, unhealthy or toxic. But but I do think that there is a little bit of an over over exaggeration of what you should expect every single week of the year from a person. The conversation was with this uh, pastor and the pastor was saying uh, sometimes like life is so busy and mm. you just have to Im- accept that when you're a pastor, when you're a solo pastor, especially, and there are things that happen that you don't plan for. You don't plan for to get the call in the middle of the night about the medical emergency of someone in your congregation, let alone like the funerals that pop up on the fly or the late night hospital visits or and when those things all come up, when you have to preach two funerals in a in a week and then preach on Sunday, you know, something's going to give there. And the point that pastor was making is like, you know, I'm OK with sometimes my sermons not being amazing on a Sunday because and, and giving PB and J sandwiches because I know that we're feeding them real meals consistently. Mm-hmm. And it was just like it's not an excuse to of course people can use it that way like all right well like i i'm not feeling it this week so i'm not going to do much like no like just recognizing like your your pastor is not a a super duper human right they're right. a person that has accepted calling and that it, you know a calling in some way or it is setting you apart absolutely from others the same way that like a bank teller is set apart from, you know, a trash man set apart from Not a bank football tellers. player. Exactly. It, so there is something about being set apart, but still humans mm. still have families, still have anxiety and, and things to overcome. Mm. And with all that being said, like <laughs> the, the amount of times, the amount of times that my wife and I have had arguments in the car on the way to church, we mm-hmm. park the car and go, 
All right, we'll finish this later, but you got to be <laughs> smiley Pause. for the time being. <laughs> we got to be okay. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing where just trying to figure out, like, why do we put so much weight on the sermon? Because I like a common phrase I've heard is like, yeah, I like I like that place. I like those people. I just don't learn there. And and that is a valid concern. I'm not saying it's not. But there is a problem to me if like church is that's the expectation, like during the worship service, like because a pastor and a preacher are not the same thing. I've said that plenty of times already today and in a previous episode, pastors preach. That's one Mm -hmm. of their duties. But like I know some horrible preachers that are the, the the kind of people you want with you in your lowest moments. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with their preaching ability. I know people that like talking to them over coffee, amazing. But if you tell them to come up with a 10 minute speech or sermon or whatever, horrendous. Mm-hmm. And that's not an insult. It's just part of reality. And that's okay. You know, like, one of my fears is that that's how people feel about me and they're just really nice, you know, <laughs> and that was really good. Man, Dude. I love going you know. for coffee with you. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. <laughs> but, you know, w- when we do shift the focus, like I, I had never thought about this until I met my current pastor. And a couple of years ago, he told me, he was like, you know, like look at Protestant sanctuaries. What is in the center? A pulpit. It is mm-hmm. the center of our worship. We might stick a cross on the on the pulpit and you might in your brain go, oh, yeah, it's central because that's that makes sense. Your eyes are looking at it centrally. And it's like, no, like what's central <laughs> in the Catholic a- church? It's all the way up in the corner. And why is it in the corner? Because what's central in a Catholic san- you know, sanctuary? It's the altar. Right. It's a place where Jesus died. It's a place where we can, com- you know, we do communion because the focal point should always be Jesus and lead to Jesus and lead mm-hmm. to conversation about death and resurrection. Same thing with an Orthodox church. I mean, even more, I wouldn't say bizarre is like a aggressive term, but I don't mean it that way, but like a totally different setting. Like there's stuff hidden from the congregation in some sense mm. um, to, to remind us of those things. The, the sermon is not the focal point. Right. I think sometimes on the flip side of you saying like sometimes a congregation has like unfair expectations. I think pastors often put prideful pressure on themselves to become saviors with their sermons. Like if I don't say the most profound thing now then I will have failed because someone will not have X, Y, Z. It's like, that's not your role. Like you're preaching and you're trusting that God's going to use those words. But like one of my favorite examples that I said this to a bunch of people at camp this summer when I was speaking and they did not think it was funny. I was like, Hey, you know, even if I preach a horrible sermon, like I trust God to work, you know, Jonah preached the worst sermon ever. And like that worked for Nineveh and everyone was just stone faced. I was like, Oh, well, I thought it was funny. Mike, that's a Bible nerd joke. That's different. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Clearly, they don't listen during the sermons. No, one of the things I appreciated my previous uh, senior pastor always saying is, is he he would read like if I was going to do uh, a sermon or I was going to like talk in front of people and I wanted somebody to get eyes on it, uh, he would he would give you like the 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 like um, 
uh, public speaking tips about your mm-hmm. sermon, he'd be like, yeah, you gotta like, be careful like this, this, and this, like, there's a couple of things that aren't really like you have a, you don't really have a hook for this part and whatever. But then at the end, he would always say like, but at the end of the day, is it faithful? Mm. Yeah, it's faithful. And so as long as it's faithful, that's the most important thing. We can work out all the rest of this stuff. And it like, sure. He was in the same breath saying, yeah, it's still trash, but it's faithful. Uh, you know, like you're, yeah, like the, what you're saying here, like, is definitely in line with how God could move through this. Like you're not saying something that's off the wall, um, but we, we still have some room to grow in terms of our whatever professional career, but uh, that's not the point. So. Right. And that, that, yeah, we're, we're coming up on an hour again. Are we shocked? But <laughs> just, yeah, I won't open up another can. I think that's great like thinking about like, what are we, what are we bringing? Like what expectations are we bringing is the purpose of a sermon to convert non-believers? Like for a long time, you didn't take non-believers to church. The great commission was to go make disciples, not go bring non-believers to make, you know, go bring them here. (laughs) Right. Like the synagogues and the early church, we just bought a building, bring them here. Reminded ourselves of what we believe, not where we taught. I, you know, and some of that's fuzzy historical details. So you could argue other ways, I guess, but sometimes sermons are completely about evangelism and conversion. Sometimes they're just like pontifications. Like I typically do, especially on this podcast, like, like there's so many different angles, but the biggest component is what are we as members of the congregation bringing with us? Like, I I don't know that, so maybe that's your food for thought to think about. Like, what are you thinking about during worship this Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. Just becoming aware of that is, is, a, is like the first step because what we do is we like, okay, you know, we use this language of like, you're stuck in the same template. Well, one of those same templates could be, okay, I have never rethought what church is for me. And I've never mm-hmm. thought about like how it could be different. And I've never thought like, should I step away from this place? I had a really good conversation with somebody the other day. And at the end of it, they went, dang, I think I need to leave my church. Mm. And like, that's a discernment process that that I went through with this person uh, on the outside. And I was like, okay, sounds like that's your plan. Like (laughs) look around, like try to find, try to find a place that's going to fit you. Try to find a place that you agree with. And that language gets weird only if you take that to mean you need to join a team or a tribe. That's Mm. not what you're saying. You're saying that you're, you're trying to find um, a place that feels like the best. Again, is it most, is it the most faithful representation of who you are as a person of faith. Yeah. If I am sure I've talked about this before, so this is just your homework assignment. I won't read it now, but the preface to mere Christianity is all about, um, he uses the image, the metaphor of like the house of faith. And he's, his goal is just to bring you into the hallway, but each Mm. door represents different churches, denominations. Your question shouldn't be, do I like this doorkeeper? The question should be, is truth here? 
is this where like the faithfulness to Jesus is sometimes in an attempt to be faithful, we're really horrible people. Mm -hmm. Your intentions can be good. Like that. I can say that because I know me, right? Like that. Yeah. And churches are the same. So it, it's yeah. like to Cole's point, especially if you're someone struggling to sit through a church service because you don't know what you believe anymore and you're frustrated with hypocrisy and you know, that's all well and good. Like I, explore somewhere else go somewhere you would never go to just get completely out of your comfort zone especially if it's a different kind of branch like an eastern church rather than a protestant church or something like that mm-hmm. but always be asking the question of like what's happening in you like what are you what are you hearing that you're resisting and why are you resisting it yeah and what are you leaning closer in for what's resonating like those are the questions that can help point you in a direction of like name it am i making this about me or about the divine name it because only when you name it can you move forward in whatever way is faithful this has been episode 39 yo what's up with this church thing (laughs) you love naming these (laughs) grace and peace to all of you